For checking out episode number 60 of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. This episode features interviews with musicians from three bands with great new albums to talk about, and those bands are Seven Dust, White Snake, and Blue October. First up is my interview with Lejean Witherspoon, the singer of Seven Dust. The new Seven Dust album is called Blood and Stone, and this album was taped before Seven Dust did its only gig of 2020, a live stream performance with Drew, a lot of people. Lejean was a pleasure to speak with, to say the very least. He's one of those guys where the music tends to be very dark, but he's just a fun, funny, nice, upbeat guy. So this one was a real pleasure to do. I previously had his bandmate Clint Lowry on the Paltrow cast. So I guess there's three more members of Seven Dust to get in the near future onto the Paltrowcast. Thanks to Kevin for setting this one up. Really do hope to speak with Lejean again in the near future. Thank you so much for doing this. I know this is not the easiest time, but I'm here to shower you with compliments and praise if you'll take them. Oh, thank you. Hey, man, thank you very much for taking the time. What game is that back there? That's a Pac-Man shell that's got like 2,000 or so games in there. Are you a big gamer? As a matter of fact, in my bar here right now, I have a 20-year-old Midway game <laughs> that has Joust, that's everything, Joust, Sinister, Defender. But downstairs, I have an arcade in my studio, and we have from Star Wars to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Golden Team we have, uh, and something else down there. But yeah, I'm a gamer, man. <laughs> Old school. Wow, that's really great to hear. You never know who is a gamer and who's super offended that you'd think that they're a gamer at this point. Oh, <laughs> not at all. The bottom line is that you've got a new record coming out. Or is it is it out this Friday? October 23rd. Okay, so week and a half. It's your 13th record. In my opinion, it's classic Seven Dust. But when did you make it with relation to everything that's going on in the world? Oh, we were, we were able, lucky enough to do this before the pandemic. So it was not like October. And uh, we were down in Orlando with Elvis Bassett, which I feel like is a sixth member of the band with his team. And uh, an incredible experience, our second time recording with him. So it felt at home. Uh, the home, his house, oh man, we're one of the only bands that stayed there. Maybe now it's different, but a beautiful mansion, uh, pool, everything. But what's so cool about it, you breathe and you eat and you sleep music, man. What a creative uh, place to be at as an artist to wake up and work out and then at 12 noon go in the studio and be in there until 12 midnight all just things going on all around the place in the house and never having to leave so uh, it was great to be able to do that again and uh, the album came out great and like I said luckily it was before the pandemic so there wasn't any stress on that end of things so I think it made well for a great album and the album is called Blood and Stone. And the first song that most people heard is called Blood from a Stone. Which one came first, the title of the single or the title of the album? Title of the single, sure. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Because it takes us a while to get the title of the album, man. You, know, you don't want to make it too weird or, you know, you want to make sure it has a cool meaning and, and, and then you can get it. So, yeah, definitely the single first. Thirteenth <laughs> album, as I said earlier. And that pretty much, based on the number of hits and singles you've had, that makes you a classic rock band. I don't know if that's like an icky feeling. To me, that's like a, no, that means you are a legit legacy artist that can keep doing this for decades to come. So having that 13th record, this album, as you said, you recorded at Elvis's house. You worked there. You lived there. What was the last album like in terms of the setting? I assume you didn't... 
we did it in Elvis's place, so it's great. <laughs> so two straight <laughs> albums at yeah, Elvis. Yeah, so that's yeah. So the energy. That's why I think this album flowed so well because we did it at his place. Uh, All I see is war. We recorded with Elvis. That was our first time recording with them. So wow, it was just a uh, really cool man. I look forward to it. I I I, 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 I love to go to his house without even recording just to go there because that's that's how cool it is let, don't let me work just let me enjoy this now <laughs> does he make all of those records in orlando because i know he was slash and alter bridges guy for no, you know while. he goes different he goes different places you know but I, I i don't know for sure that slash has been there and uh miles kennedy has been there which he just did an album there uh recently so uh yeah he goes he goes places and then people come to his place too so uh, you're very lucky if you get to go to his place though I can imagine. <laughs> I hope to get there, and I imagine he's got a great arcade if you like being there. Oh, no. Uh, it's just a musical paradise, man. It's just from the guitars to the stories to just everything is really cool. I mean, the, the, I, the furniture is funny. I found myself just to, to FaceTime my wife and saying, look at this. Get us one of these at the house immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I promised you compliments and they're going to keep coming. Your voice is still in top form on Blood and Stone. And oh. as proof of that, uh, you wouldn't be doing a Soundgarden cover as part of the sessions if you weren't singing well. Are you doing a lot of vocal prep in general these days? Or oh, oh, no, no way. I hope by this time it's in me. Uh, not at all, man. I just feel like we're a seasoned band. You know, we've been doing it for so long that, uh, that's in us. Thank you for the compliment, by the way. But uh, that song wouldn't have been a song I would have chosen, chosen because of Chris Cornell's voice is so amazing and no one can compare to that at all. But Elvis came up with the idea and it was funny. I could tell you the story once he said, I said, oh, that's a great song. Well, a matter of fact, any Soundgarden Chris Cornell song is amazing, but who yeah. do you think is going to sing? I said, who's going to sing that? And everyone laughed. <laughs> You're going to sing it. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not. But anyway, so it stressed me out for a while. I had a couple of weeks there where I was really beating myself up thinking, I can't do this. You know, I mean, I could do it, but it's not going to be as cool. So what I had to do, man, I had to go in and think about it like this. I can't go in trying to outdo anybody or try to sound like anyone. I just got to go in there and do it LJ's way. And I got to put my heart and soul in it like I do with everything that I do. And that's what I did, man. And, and actually working with Elvis with that song and jump was a, a great experience to, to, to wait till the very last night of recording when I was going to fly home at five o'clock in the morning, we would put in a full day from 12 noon until midnight on that song. And, uh, it was definitely draining. I don't think when I flew home that next day, I didn't talk to my wife or anybody for a couple of days just cause I, once I get in that mode of recording, I like to every day sing. So I had a very strong, I don't know if I can explain it. Uh, my body resonated with song and just it hummed. And it was, you know, it took me a second to get out of that mode. So it was, it was very, it was an incredible experience, if I may say so. Right. Well, congrats again on this record. Hopefully there's a 14th record, a 15th, a 16th, because I think Seven Dust is one of those bands where whether or not there's been a hit single, the cottage industry just continues in a great thing in a great way. So I'm curious when you were comfortable considering Seven Dust a career and not just a, well, let's, let's see if the next album has a hit. Wow. I don't know. I was comfortable for Well, I don't know when I got comfortable. I was comfortable. Now I'm like, we're going to have a job again. Ever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I gotta, I'm looking for a job. Uh, when did we get comfortable? I don't know, man, because sometimes I still can't believe that this is what I get to, to do for a living. Like, I, you know, of course, you know, I think we, we got our first RV. That's when we thought we were going to make That's when I was, oh, my God, we made it. And then we got our first tour bus. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is a job. Not realizing that we were paying for every single thing and maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when I thought it was a career was when we, uh, no, man, I, I've always thought that I was going to be a singer. Uh, I don't know to what level. I knew I was going to always do something in music. Uh, if it wasn't singing or something. But uh, I feel like maybe when we got a record deal, when we signed to TBT Records, I was like, wow, we, we've been noticed. We're signing a record deal and getting ready to tour the world. I felt like that was going to be my career, but I didn't think it would be 20-something years later, you know. So I, this, we've been very blessed to, to do that. And given how long ago that was with TBT, you guys have been around for 
two or three cycles of rock is dead, no rock is just fine. <laughs> so that's one yeah. of the things where you can go like, well, we, we were right. We stuck our guns in being a, a hard yet melodic band. There is a radio format for us. And where I'm kind of getting with that is another cycle that you guys have survived is Atlanta kind of went from being just a good town for hip hop and R&B with one or two fluke rock artists that were a hit to mm-hmm. now there being maybe more happening in Atlanta than New York or LA. Would you agree with that? Uh, that Atlanta became yeah. the music scene? Well, I mean, you know, the music scene, I don't know, because I left Atlanta about 10, 12 years ago. I've been living in Oberlin Park, Kansas City. Anyway, oh. uh, I love it here. I love Atlanta. The scene definitely changed. You know, I, I still think the fact that they still have some of the best hip hop R&B still coming out. But yeah, there's definitely a, uh, a lot of, great artists like Blackberry Smoke coming out of Atlanta. One of my, I love that band. And, uh, you know, you're starting to see a lot of different artists. You know, for like you said before, it was like the Black Crows, which I love. Uh, you know, things like that. Butch Walker, Atlanta, you know. He was Butch, who did it, a Seven Dust album way back when. Yeah. yeah. Seasons at Ruby Red Studios, which is this beautiful studio that he had built. Uh, and, and congratulations to all his success out there, too. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, we've been very lucky to, to be around for a long time and just to have those type of experiences and, and deal with those people. I feel very blessed. Kind of went away from the question, I think. Well, I just saw my son. I just saw my son ride past the bar on a scooter looking at me in his underwear. <laughs> and the lights are, and the lights are all on on the scooter. So <laughs> sorry. Oh, good. Well, where I'm getting at with Atlanta is uh, I had the pleasure of, you know, two, three times interviewing William Duvall from also oh. from that scene who he had to get out of Atlanta at a certain point, you know, going between different cities and all that, because he's like, there's nothing going on here. And I think he preceded Butch Walker's success and all that. And now besides the Black Crows and Collective Soul, it's okay. just, it, Fozzie is now even a huge band. I, I think that shows how, how many bands have, have come out of Atlanta and all that. But you said you're now in, in Kansas? Yes, I'm in Kansas. But that's funny, William Duvall, what an old friend of mine, man. Uh, I used to love seeing him play in his bands and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I always, like, anytime anyone talks about William and Allison James, I'm like, man, you know, I knew William when I said, you know, he wrote the song for Dion Ferris. And they're like, what song? Yeah. I'm like, don't you know that song? I know what you're doing, baby. Yeah. like, yeah, of course. I'm like, William wrote that song. They're like, no. So I'm so proud of what he's done. And as a cop, his solo stuff is great. It's incredible. You said, uh, let's see, Collective Soul. I knew those guys, too. We played with them guys growing up back when we were uh, even called something else besides. Brawl Space, so, was it? Yeah. So uh, I remember I remember the show at the Masquerades. It just brought back memories. I remember Ed and Collective Soul having a black top hat and jamming. And we were so young. And, and to think then that I would have never expected us to be still doing music now. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying it's absolutely a scene. It's not just artists on Arista Records from the late 90s. It's quite the scene. And what brought you out there to Kansas? My wife got me out here. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been, a, been on the road seven us. But remember our careers, you know, man, we didn't stop. We were touring and never being home. And then I'm trying to have a family. And I moved her to Georgia and, I'm completely never there. And after a few years, we talked and talked. And then she gave me the ultimatum of, uh, you going to marry me or what? Let's do this. And I said, if, if you're going to leave me, if I don't marry you, then yeah. No, I'm so we lovely, man. We've been married for a long time. We have a beautiful family. But uh, she got me down here because she had family here. And it would have been easier for us to kind of navigate our family with her having a little bit of help. And so uh, we decided to come down here, built a beautiful home in this area. And it's great. Now we are. Uh, have a farmhouse in Baldwin that we're able to get away to. And it's, 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 it's a great quiet, you know, we have a lot of cool people that uh, we deal with that we call family around here. And it's been fun. Uh, Johnny Dare, the radio guy, syndicated radio series or whatever. Johnny's a really good friend of mine. And we have, uh, we ride motorcycles and uh, we, we do it. We call ourselves mantiquers. So we do a lot of mantiquing. <laughs> I made that word up. But uh, yeah, it's fun. And now lately too, at home, I've been considered the constant gardener. So I'm really into plants and stuff. Even at my bar here, I have a prayer plant, which is very interesting. In the day, it's up. And at night, it goes down. It falls. So they call it a prayer plant. It's really interesting. It's fun. Wow. So yeah, I have the green thumb. My mom, she said, I never knew you had the green thumb. I said, yeah, it wasn't always incense you were smelling, mama. (laughs) 
Well, you got for, for three more questions and then you're a free man. Right on. Okay. First question. Yesterday, I interviewed a singer on RCA Records named Ryan. He just goes under the name Ryan, but his real name is Ryan Witherspoon. There's oh, wow. Ryan Witherspoon. There was NBA player Clarence Witherspoon. There's uh -huh. great boxer Tim Witherspoon. Are you Tim Witherspoon is my cousin. <laughs> there you go. I was trying to figure out, so if your cousin is Tim Witherspoon, and I think his uncle or his somehow his nephew is Clarence Witherspoon, is he also in the family? Yeah, then he's in the family too. So check this out. That's funny. I remember as a kid uh, being in my grandparents' house in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and Tim, I guess, was in trouble. You know, you know, well, knows you know the story. Yeah. And he had to come talk to Big Daddy, which is my granddaddy. He's a uh, Frank Witherspoon, the first black man to desegregate Tennessee walking horse shows in the '60s. He's in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff there. So it was a big deal. And I remember them having to talk to Tim and him sitting around the table, and you know, the whole family was there, and they were getting him to get his stuff together. But I remember having to leave the dinner table uh, at my big mom and big daddy's house. When you walked in, that was where everyone sat. So yeah, that was my experience. I, I only saw him a few times, but I always knew that he was my famous boxing cousin. Well, so then I think that Clarence Witherspoon might be a relative of yours as well. He had uh, maybe a couple of seasons on the Sixers in the mid nineties. Yes, that's crazy. Also, uh, I had a cousin, I well, I'm sure, uh, in James Brown's band. So it's been, you know, it's been cool to have music. He played trumpet. I remember even growing up, uh, living in America. Yeah. He was in that video. He, was, uh, he played trumpet. He had the, uh, Charles had the big afro. He's a real light-skinned brother. Really cool. I remember meeting him at a funeral, my uncle's funeral, and knowing that he was some type of cool star because him and the guy that was with him, one of James Brown's friends, showed up to the funeral. And this guy had long Jerry Curl. He had like some kind of skipper hat on. And they had sunglasses on. They pulled up in a black Lincoln that looked like a limousine. I was like, I'm going to go with them after this is over. <laughs> wow. I want to do what they're doing. Uh, but no, that, so I think I always had the bug in me. Even from growing up in the church, I was uh, excited about the red robe that had the gold lapels. And then on every third Sunday, you got to wear the white one if you were a good singer and you sang in the older choir. So uh, the performing and the, the lights and, the, you know, it's always been something I love about being an entertainer. And I didn't know that about your grandfather. So you're not the first famous Witherspoon, nor was Tim, which is pretty oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. That's a, that's a couple of them. That's a couple of them down the line there. My father was a singer too. He was in a disco band. Uh, Southern production out of Nashville, Tennessee, that I, I still love to hear some of the music. It's so funny. But that was the reason I really got into it, because uh, it was a full-on band from uh, drums, uh, bass, guitar, keyboards, and everything. So it was always uh, something fun to see my father rehearse. And as a kid, as a child, to go in and have an amp play right in front of you, that's something that always grabbed me, you know, the powerful, how powerful music uh, is, was, is still, is a healer. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. time, yeah. Well, uh, any TV recommendations that you could pass on? Because, you know, you've been on the off the road more this year than probably any other year of your life, unfortunately. Oh, my God. Like shows that I watch on TV? Yeah, because here's what I'm thinking. You make great music. Your lyrics come from a smart place. You probably have good taste on TV. Yeah, man. I like I like scary movies right now because it's October, of course. My birthday just passed October 3rd. But, man, my wife, you know, I like – because I love spending time with her. We, she's got me watching like 90 Day Fiance. Who did I marry? I don't know. Who did I sleep with last night on accident? I don't even think that's a show it should be. But you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, you know, I'm having fun with that. And then the kids, you know, we watch shows together. Uh, Lovecraft. That's the new show in Showtime that I've been. Nurse Ratchet. That's something yeah. really cool and interesting. Uh, uh, just try to, you know, find time. Man, I'm going I'm to tell you the truth. You know what I look forward to watching? probably every day and I've done it for years if I'm ever having time and I've had time I love Sanford and Son man greatest theme song, song ever for a TV show would you say Quincy Jones absolutely man what a what an incredible still timeless show uh the joke still I could watch Sanford and Son over and over again man but uh Something I grew up with as a kid, but you know, I just love all stuff, you know, as long as it's interesting, but especially during October, we like to watch a lot of scary stuff around here. Cool. And the closer, any last words for the kids? Uh, just stay safe. Listen to your mom and dad. Wear your mask. 
uh, yes, sir, no, sir, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, something <laughs> that has to be said around here in my house, you get in trouble. Yeah. And just everybody love each other, man, and, uh, and we'll make it through this, you know, and I, I cannot wait to get back out there to everyone in some type of capacity where we can hug each other again and we can talk about music and tell me what's been going on in your life. And uh, we'll get through this. But I want to tell you, honestly, thank you very much, man. Uh, a man of my heart right there with that game. Got to get together. We, we need to – I was getting ready to buy the uh, limited edition of the new Pac-Man, the old school wood one. Yeah. And I almost got it for my birthday. And I was like, ah, nah. I was like, maybe – for Christmas, I'll get it. So, but thank you again, man. <laughs> hey, my pleasure. Blood and Stone again. Congratulations! And when you're back in New York, I will be at that gig. Really looking. I forward. can't wait, man. I can't wait to get back to New York. I love it there, brother. And you stay safe, man. Exactly. Have a great rest right. of the day, man. Take care. Best you too, God bless. Thank, thank you. you. Next up is my interview with Justin Furstenfeld of the band Blue October. Blue October has a new album called. This is what I live for. My first exposure to the band Blue October was through Steve Schiltz from the band Longwave, who did the theme song to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. Steve is one of my favorite people and also one of my favorite musicians these days. Gotta love Longwave, Hurricane Bells, all of his different projects. I am not the only fan of Longwave, to say the least. The members of Blue October are big fans of Longwave, Hence why Steve and some of the members of Blue October have a band together called Harvard of the South. So my first exposure to Blue October wasn't through their hit songs per se. It was because, oh, Steve knows them. Steve likes them. Mm -hmm. So I've seen them live in New York a few times, got to know the catalog that way, got to speak to some of the guys after the shows in New York. Great guys. Now, the music of Blue October tends to be serious complex, meaningful, spiritual at times. A lot of early U2 influence I hear. But you're quickly going to pick up on the fact that Justin is a funny, energetic, quick-witted guy. I didn't really know this side of him before. Maybe I had some credibility with him in knowing Steve. But anyway, such a pleasure to speak with Justin. Please note that every audio problem that I could have ever had happened during this interview. Was my landline ringing? Yes, it was. Was the bell ringing for an Amazon package or two? Yes, it was. Did a box fall? Yep. Did my speakerphone temporarily malfunction? Yes, it did. Justin was as good of a sport as humanly possible. We talked about that new album from Blue October, Plenty more beyond that. So I think you're really going to like seeing this new, unique side of Justin. Enjoy. Thank you so much for making this happen, to say the very least. And you have no shortage of interesting and exciting projects. But can I first ask you about This Is What I Live For? Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Okay. Great record. Great title track. When did you guys start making it? Um, I would have to say... It was not this last summer that we just went through, but the summer before. Um, I always, when I'm not on the road with Blue October, I I get a bus and I go through like a recovery show around the country where it's just me and my engineer, my partner, my songwriting partner. And we set up the whole bus like a recording studio. And we go from town to town and between shows, we just write, we just, literally wake up in the morning and just go in the back and just start writing and we just keep writing and writing and writing and we we write so much together that um it just started uh just started to kind of take form this certain vibe of the album and and uh, this is what i live for was probably one of the first ones written and and, and we, we just totally fell in love with it and that the vibe of it too and but we wrote it all in a bus while touring around the country and the first thing that you hear on the album is the actual bus's generator uh, <laughs> turn on. So, so when you listen to the album, it's a song called, uh, I laugh at myself, it goes, that's the bus's generator. <laughs> yeah, that is, cool. that is absolutely authentic right there. Were you always able to ride on the road? 
Not, I mean, I'm always able to write because I make it happen. I'm just, I'm just a kind of, that's what I do. That's my favorite thing to do. That's my favorite thing to be as, as a creator. Um, to constantly create music is something that I've always done and I always find a space to do it and I always have to do it. It's a part of me. And so when I'm on the road with Blue October, I usually wait till I get to the club and then I go backstage and then I set up my beat machine and my computer and everything. But when I do these open book tours and it's literally just me, a road manager and my engineer with a studio in the bus, that it is literally only a studio rolling down the street. It's no longer like a tour bus, it's a studio. So when you're in, you're always recording, you're always vibing, you're, it's just like a month long of just vibes. And then you just go from town to town, get off the bus, go eat, come back, work, you know? And it's, it's quite, it's probably the coolest thing that I've ever started doing. And I started doing it like four years ago, but I just love it. It's so amazing. That's really refreshing to hear. I've heard of some songwriters who treat songwriting like a nine to five job, where even if what they wrote kind of sucks and they have no intention of doing it, they have to get enough of that out of them so that they get to the actual album. Is that the case for you or just you enjoy the actual craft? I love the actual craft, but I'm also one of those people that I have to set times for myself because I'm just, I'm just all over the place and I got so many things going on that when it's when you're on the bus and on the road in a tour bus with your engineer and every every instrument in the shower is the vocal booth and the bathroom is the amplifier chamber you know it's that's easy because you wake up and you're in the studio and you're like okay this is what we're going to do but when we're at home I own a studio here at my house on my property in Wimberley Texas and where we record all of the Blue October stuff. So I have to say 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day I come in. And I, it's like, it's, you have to, I have to come in here. If I'm gonna be off of work right now and I'm not gonna be touring, I'm gonna have a 10 to five job and I'm gonna come in here at 10 and I'm gonna work until five. And yeah, sometimes things happen and you're like, okay, that's all right. It's not my favorite thing we've ever done, but usually everything is just badass because you work hard and you have high expectations and. And if it's not good and it's not making you feel romantic and nostalgic or like Santa's on the way, <laughs> then, then it's not good enough to finish and you just kind of move on. But, uh, but Eric and I, he's, he's the one that um, wrote this new album with me and we've just been going since COVID stopped, uh, started. We've just been writing and writing and writing and, and he's in the other room right now working on lyrics that we looked up and said, oh my God, it's one o'clock. <laughs> you have an interview. Oh. So I ran in here, and when we get off, I'll run right back in there. But, and I, I understand that you know a guy named Steve Schultz, who's also a writing buddy of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, because of Steve, uh, you, you did the name drop before I did. I had some related questions to ask that aren't gotcha or joking questions. They're actually things that I'm super curious about with you guys, like about yeah. how that you've got this own proprietary site when it comes to file sharing and all that? Yeah. Did you guys start that just for yourselves or is there actually a business plan behind that whole thing? Are you talking about the Get Back Up TV or are you talking about uh, Steve and me? Well, I was talking about getbackup.tv, but I know it's very interesting oh, that yeah, yeah, you yeah. and Steve for the creative process of Blue October, at times he's transported files over from New York and you're not a band that's in New York very much. So it's very interesting to see how you pioneered no, yeah. working remotely. That's how we that's how we do it. Like Eric and I will be writing and then we'll send it to Steve and he'll write in his studio and then send it back uh, usually through email and then we'll put it in the session and, uh, and make it work that way. Um, but the actual song, This Is What I Live For, we send it to Steve and he came up with the damn chorus, the oh, you know, and and so he got writer's credit on that one. And I remember I was in Prague, uh, which is beautiful. Have you ever been to Prague? I have not had the pleasure. I'm going to take your word for it. I, I just hear that Dire Straits yeah. is huge there, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> I, well, I was in Prague, and I got back his files that he had just sent. So this is what I live for. And I was walking around the city of Prague listening to these files, and I was just floored. 
it was so cool. So yeah, Steve and I work a lot together, Steve, Eric and I, and we write together. And I always send it to Steve to see if he has anything he needs to put on the songs before it goes to print. Just because he's a genius. He, the guy's a genius. If calling him a genius is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And he's uh, the singer of the theme song <laughs> to my podcast. And I know that you and him have a band called Harvard of the South. Do I have it correct that eventually a Harvard of the South album is coming out? Oh, yeah, that's my brother and his band. My brother, Jeremy, and his band, and they asked me to write lyrics and sing for it. So that's their band. I just I just show up when they need me to, and I write lyrics for it. It's their baby. Like, Blue October's my baby. So I don't, like, try and step on their feet or anything because I'm a pretty controlling guy. And uh, <laughs> when it comes to Blue October, I control every aspect of it. So I, whenever someone asks me, how's your band, Harvard of the South? I say, hey... I'm just in the band. That's not my band. I'm just in the band. This is Jeremy and Steve's band. It's great, though. Yeah, and also with the whole digital thing, you've also kind of been a pioneer with regularly doing shows online, direct-to-fan kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of artists are kind of afraid of doing all that because it kills Mystique, or they're afraid to talk directly with fans. When did you first get comfortable with the idea of being so accessible? Um, since my career started and I saw that once you become accessible to people and you're genuine and authentic and actually care about what they're saying and you're willing to give your time and your ears and your heart to these people that pay for your house, <laughs> your diapers for your kids and your kids' school, that you should thank them inevitably and you should thank them till the day is long. So whatever I can do to give back to them during this time by being on camera and playing the songs that they want, hell yeah, I'm going to do it. Mystique. It's called a career. It's called being grateful to these people that allow you to sing somewhere besides your shower. You know, it's, these people are the reason that you have a career. So anything I can do to make these people feel better, to to sing them a song, to relate to them, to hold a recovery meeting on Tuesday nights for the people that don't want to drink anymore during COVID. I can show them the 12 steps of AA while we're off, you know. It's anything I can do to stay connected to these amazing people that have given me such a beautiful, beautiful life, I will. So the album title, This Is What I Live For, is not a gimmick. This sounds like this is a guy singing about his life and the things that he does yeah. on stage and off stage, and that's that. Yep. Okay. And it's, it's a dark, sad, beautiful, romantic album, but it's one of the best that we've ever made. And uh, Mark Needham uh, mixed the whole thing, and he's, he's huge. He's mixed the Fleetwood Mac, the Killers, um, uh, all kinds of people, the Red House Painters, and, and he's, he's just brilliant. So I've gotten to work with the most amazing people. Steve Schultz and Eric and I have gotten to write, and it's just some of the best work I've ever done, some of the best work we've ever done, and I'm, I'm super proud of it, man. I'm super proud of it. One of the things that intrigues me the most about you and Blue October is that you're kind of like an evolved high school band. Do I have that correct, that, <laughs> that three of you went to high school together and were a band that played like the talent show in high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were definitely... Ryan and I, we went to the high school performing in visual arts together, and we were definitely uh, friends in high school, and started the band right out of high school, and it was pretty cool. We've been doing it for, me and Ryan have been playing together for over, th over 30 years. Most bands like tout an album being 10 years old, the 10th anniversary, and that 30-year thing is a big deal. There's a very short list of successful bands that went the distance from high school. There's you, U2, Clutch, <laughs> the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but there's not a lot of bands. Did that ever give you inspiration that there were high school bands that made it, or did that never even uh, cross your mind? All I knew is that this is all that I love doing, and, and I would see bands like U2 still doing it, and I would see bands like The Cure still doing it, and, and just... Foo Fighters, and and I, I knew I didn't want to burn out. I knew I just, I'm the kind of person that if, I, if I'm not able to write any more songs that inspire me, then I'm going to stop, right? Because I don't want to do something that I'm not happy with. Um, 
So it's just getting more and more infectious, the writing. It's making me feel more and more alive and more and uh, more young. And and I, I'm getting more handsome with age. So Duh. I just got to keep going. Of you know? course. If, if I get better looking as I get older, <laughs> I mean, why slow down? Right? <laughs> and coming from where you came from in Texas. At least, that's what, at least that's what Steve tells me. Every time he's with me, he's like, I can't keep my hands off you. I know I'm married, <laughs> but still. You are the man for me. And I say, calm down, Steve. This might get put in, a, in an interview one day. Well, So hopefully this will be the interview. Steve, before when I spoke to him, uh, said, oh, you're speaking to Justin? Oh, he is what I live for. And I, that's not true oh, that that... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that got awkward quick. Uh, so ultimately, you got this great record and you're writing every day. And Harvard of the South, which is just a fun side gig, is happening. Do you write any of that stuff for commercials or for other bands? I don't because, I I mean, one day I'll be dead and there'll be like 200 songs sitting around for people that can use. They can use whatever they want. But right now, I'm selfish. I want to use them all for my creative ideas and all for my romantic little uh, ventures and adventures, you know. I don't, I don't want to give them away. If I were to write for somebody, you know, like, then then I would fall too much in love with it and I'd be mad that I can't do something with it. Like, anybody can use any song from any of my albums. Go ahead. You know, anybody can use any of the songs that I'm writing, but I, 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 I've only got so much time in the day and I want to utilize it as much as I can to stack my work best and, uh, and song chest for Blue October and anything under the umbrella of Blue October to succeed as, as far as they can go, you know? And I'm not gonna cut that short. So ever since COVID started, just all we've been doing is writing. So for the next, I don't know, 20 years, I can keep just putting out albums every two years and just bang, 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 bang. There's a lot of 21 year olds that want my spot. And they don't understand that I'm kind of obsessive compulsive about it. <laughs> so I don't think I'm gonna be stopping anytime soon. That's absolutely going to be refreshing to hear for the fans. What was your last gig before lockdown happened? It was Mardi Gras. Can you believe that? Wow. <laughs> like, the biggest party thing ever. Like, it was Mardi Gras. And I was like, what? And it was funny. <laughs> I was like, we're playing Mardi Gras. And then it's like, yeah. That was a, definitely a high note to go out on. So three quick questions. Right? And, and then you're free for me, if that's okay, those three quick questions? Oh, yeah, anything, anytime, go for it. Okay, first question for you. Which singer of Van Halen is the best singer of Van Halen? David Lee Roth, no question. Okay. This isn't Van Hagar, it's Van Halen. <laughs> question number two, best TV recommendation that you could pass along, given that we've all been locked up for months now and some of us need new shows to binge? If you haven't watched Ozarks, watch Ozarks. If you watched Ozarks, um, oh man, such good shit. Oh, there's one. Uh, I'm I'm like a murder mystery guy, so if people just want a good TV show, watch Ozark. Okay, you are not the first person to recommend that one. That's usually the number one pick people give. The number two is unfortunately usually Ninety Day Fiance. What? What the hell is that shit? No! No, no, no! I've watched Tiger King before that. <laughs> Again, you are a man of taste, Justin. And my closer is, any last words for the kids? Any last words for the kids? Seriously, don't do drugs. They make you stupid, and girls don't like people that are stupid. Um, and uh, don't take life so seriously. And the point of point of life is to be happy, joyous, and free. And if you're not happy, joyous, and free, something's wrong. Wow. Well said. Well, so glad to learn about your work ethic and that you're actually Thanks. writing music besides albums. It's very inspirational to people who wonder if music is a craft. And of course, you're illustrating that it's a craft. So thanks for doing what oh, you yeah. do. And if you, if you ever talk to Steve anytime, Stuart, if you could help me by putting in the uh, in the article that she just needs to understand that she's married and he needs to, <laughs> to realize that we're over romantically, uh, but, but he can still admire me from afar, okay? I will tell him <laughs> that 
right now, and then he's probably going to send back a gif of David Lee Roth at me. Oh, my God. Did he say David Lee Roth, or did he say Hagar? Oh, he would... He likes them both. Uh, when I asked directly, he said you have to look at them as just being different bands. And if you can do that, oh, then you God. have a good Damn appreciation. No, it's either Roth or Hagar. Tell me poor shit. Uh, he didn't say Sharon, which which was disappointing. Because Steve is a funny guy. He might have said Sharon if you prompted him. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. Well, you have a good day, and you've got my number if you ever need to call me and ask me anything else anytime to utilize it, okay? Thanks, and likewise, Justin. Have a great rest of the day there. Take care. Keep up the greatness. All right. Bye. Outrocast. Last, but definitely not least, is my interview with David Coverdale, the legendary frontman of Whitesnake, and before that, the legendary frontman of Deep Purple, which led to him being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Keeping up with the tradition of the other interviews on this episode, David makes music that's meaningful and serious, yet you quickly realize when you speak with him that he's funny, very quick-witted. Very nice. A charming person. Just a great conversationalist. I was not expecting all that. I knew that this was a funny guy, but not this funny. Anyway, the new album from Whitesnake is called Love Songs. It's a collection of new recordings of songs that you may recognize from prior Whitesnake and David Coverdale solo releases. Definitely breathes some new, fresh air into the White Snake and David Coverdale catalogs. It's the second album in a trilogy that they're doing for Rhino Records. There's also a, a rock-centric one and a blues-centric one that are similarly new recordings of old songs. We spoke about that in our chat, life during COVID-19, why the guy lives in Nevada, what life is like in general when you're at this high level but still have a lot to prove, what he still wants to work on, family life. It's very refreshing to get somebody who's this honest, who gets it, (laughs) to say the very least. I really could speak with this guy for another hour or two. Um, Hopefully that happens again in the future. But in the meantime, enjoy this interview with David Coverdale. Darren Donning. Wow. David Coverdale looking dashing as ever. I mean, I don't think I'd I do me. I'd do me in a fucking New York heartbeat. I swear <laughs> to God. Cheers, Darren. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Long time fan to say the very least, but before I shower you with compliments and ask you about love songs. Oh, no, no. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> <laughs> is your day going well so far? The day is fine. I was just wondering if the housekeeper's cooking body parts out there. I have no idea. What, what I walked out and it's like an abattoir. What's she doing? <laughs> it's just vacuum for Christ's sake. Sorry. Am I getting you from the Lake Tahoe area? Uh, yes. Well, actually, we're in the sleepy foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. Um, we, uh, yeah, it's after having 10 years of degenerative arthritis, starting off positive. After 12 years or whatever the hell, um, having a really big house, four floors, and and absolutely impractical for elevators at 7,000 feet, instead of fighting for it as I did in my last divorce, um, I was, you know, it was just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't deal with it. And it's just beautiful postcards from God on a daily basis. It's one of the most beautiful alpine lakes in the world. There's no high-rise buildings. You're not allowed to bu- build above tree level. Right. There's no industry. So, I mean, when people would fly in from Los Angeles, they'd be standing on the deck just biting off like chunks of fresh air. You know? <laughs> well, but yeah, it's a glorious, a glorious place. Yeah, I'm an honorary Nevadan. Well, I know that you were sworn in as a citizen in Reno and all that. I didn't do my I, research. By Jerry Garcia. I said, you look great for a dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lake Tahoe always comes up in interviews when I'm speaking with Mike Love or Cosmo yep. from Credence. And it seems like a really great classic rock community that you've got out there. What, well, um, you was, that area in the first place? When I first well, it was tax, you know, um, I've been a tax exile since I was 21 years old, many uh, <laughs> years ago. Um, so when the 87 album just started to go batshit, we had a, a seven hour uh, meeting in Los Angeles and, and thought it best. 
and, and they were moving me to Delaware, <laughs> Miami. I'm going, no, well, the music business at that time, of course, the music <laughs> business was Los Angeles. So I said, what's the closest place? And, and funnily enough, at school, I'd done a school project of the uh, Squall, Squall Valley uh, Winter Olympics. So I had heard of Lake Tahoe, but, you know, I was unfamiliar with the geographics of it. And, and the very first day I went up, I woke up, I, was, I arrived in the middle of the night, had no streetlights, you know, it's just pitch black. Um, and I woke up the next, I had actually, I think I'd finished a world tour and mm -hmm. had a wasp of, a hive of wasps up my ass about something. And... And the next day I woke up still kind of pissed and grumpy, you know, making a coffee. And I opened these drapes to this drop jaw, stunning, gorgeous view, widescreen, you know, just unbelievable. I got my coffee and I walked down to this boat uh, dock and I sat there and I felt like all this rusty armor of all the bullshit and the dramas and the soap operas that go on on right. tours. Just, just drop off and into the water. Blink, you know. There goes another. <laughs> off the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. It was ex an extraordinary meeting. It was like those Hollywood moments of seeing this woman walking in slow mo, and you suddenly, you know, you drinks paused, slow mode halfway to your mouth, and it's love at first sight, and time stops. That was that kind of moment, and it still is. Well, speaking of love at first sight, love yes. songs is that new record, if I'm correct on this, the second record in a trilogy? Correct, yeah. Uh, just to confuse matters, we're not going red, white, but, you know, we're going white, blue, uh, green, whatever the hell. Yeah, it's, um, we've got an amazing relationship with uh, Rhino and Warner as a super team, uh, very supportive. And when my co-producer, Michael, who you've just been having uh, cyber sex Delightful. with, Delightful yeah. conversation um, yeah. or cyber sex, whatever you want to oh, call it. Right? We've had we've had this plan at the back of you know to getting everybody on the same page in in yeah. not only at the best of times in what uh, in naked puppets is called um, the music business. <laughs> it's as rare as hen's teeth, you know. So when yeah. you find a team that works well together, you know, honor them and treasure them and, and, and work together. And, and everything that Michael and I uh, have planned and discussed with these guys, they were supportive of. Um, and I, we've had great success. What is it, four box sets we've put out? Mm -hmm. I'm that kind of artist now. I'm, I'm a box setter. Right. You know? <laughs> so... And I said, we, we can't, particularly now with economics being so compromised, we can't expect people to drop 40, 50 bucks, you know, very important 40 or 50 bucks on a box set uh, when, when, you know, they're unemployed or whatever. If indeed we put out anything, uh, it's got to be like taster records of things to come. So that was the whole idea before the Red, White and Blues trilogy. Um, White being the rock album, that's done amazing. Uh, it looks like love songs. It appears White Snake is synonymous with love. So that's very encouraging. Uh, and we released Now You're Gone Today, which re uh, uh, redone, up, uh, scaled into age definition, uh, uh, HD. Just beautiful, remixed, you know, um, added, added personnel and stuff to anything that Mikey and I looked and went, you know what, we could use an extra guitar on this or, uh, or we're keeping all the original songs, you know, as they are, we're going to remaster them. But the primary disc in forthcoming box sets will be the new mix, um, which is being brought kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Um, but it's, you know, these are literally tastes of things to come and the guys were totally on board um and i think the first box set will be an album that's never released in america uh, mm. that was when i fell out of love with geffen um and that's the restless heart project and that will be i think summer is it 21 uh, april. april but we got the blues album which is mo obviously most blues rock you know mm. um yeah, that's i think february so yeah, it was interesting because I thought, is it insensitive tonight? We had really good uh, dialogue with the record company. Is, in, is it insensitive in, in a, a lockdown, isolate, you know, coronavirus scenario? And then we thought, well, fuck, 
you know, you saw the, see the Netflix and Disney and the, all of these things just We're went going. through the roof. Yeah. You know, people are going to need glasses when they come out of this. We've got to have them close their eyes, put the headphones on and listen to some sounds, dude. You know, give your eyes a break. Ear candy. <laughs> well, you just mentioned a great release that you guys did in the last four. The box set, which has the full Donington show. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such a pleasant surprise because who even knew that you guys were recording all the cameras on that? You yeah. never know with classic concerts whether it was just one or two cameras on it or yeah. even, you know, Rudy Sarzo or whoever gets yeah. his camera. Licking everything. Man, he would have been the best representative for tasty IKEA furniture, wouldn't he? He just licked everything that was nailed down, moving past him. But uh, no, it was fascinating. They literally... That show was before bootlegs and cameras and, right. and all that kind of stuff. So we were so fortunate. We got the only recording of, uh, it was one Diamond Vision, I think, the early days of side projection. Uh, so, and it was uh, 75, 80,000 people, uh, uh, officially, a little, little <laughs> more. Um, but we were really fortunate to have that and have recorded it for the BBC. So we had the tapes to, to, uh, to enjoy. Did you see the recent 30 year reunion with all of the guys with Steve, Adrian, Rudy, Tommy, and I, who knew that that was going to happen? Uh, yeah, that was, that was so much fun. Was... So much fun for all of us to reconnect like that. You know, I, I have a great dialogue. We obviously still work side by side with Tommy. Um, but we had uh, Adrian, uh, I last saw 20, just after we finished South America in 2019. Hmm. Um, and Steve and I have been in touch uh, as I've been tweaking uh, the slip of the tongue stuff, uh, keeping him in touch with what was going on, you know, because he, 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 he just had so much freedom um, with that record after working with Lee Roth, who was a little more... Um, the boss, as it yes, were. Yes. Uh, whereas, you know, I, there's a reason I work with particular musicians because I believe I can inspire them to spread their wings and fly and, and help take Whitesnake up another couple of steps of the ladder. And also, hopefully, I can inspire and be inspired by. You know, that's always the, uh, the parameter we, we look at players coming into Whitesnake. It's not just because they're handsome devils. One of the more handsome bands of the 80s. Uh, I think everyone could say that Whitesnake had that distinction to it, but it's always been the who's who. Bon Jovi. <laughs> Some <laughs> more handsome than others. No, 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 no. Only joking. Joking. <laughs> but it's always been a who's who of the Whitesnake lineup. And of course, your solo record had Earl Slick on it, who oh. was no slouch either. So, no. one thing I'm curious about. When you look at the liner notes of a Whitesnake album, it usually, beyond the publishing credits, it says David Coverdale, vocals, percussion. And it doesn't say guitar or piano, but people who dig a little bit online will see you playing different instruments. Do yeah. you always write on guitar or piano? Uh, both. Uh, it's, it's been a, a situation many years ago. I'm much more limited as a, as a keyboard player than, than as a guitarist. I'm a domestic guitar god, I think the expression is. Um, but I would write the ballads uh, on piano and the riffs, you know, the rock stuff uh, on guitar. But it, it really, it, it mixes and matches now. Um, I carry so much music in my head. I have an amazingly active muse constantly giving me, I'm working on a Christmas song right now, which oh. uh, I'm being tortured uh, to do it. I told my publishers and, and they, they want it now. And I'm going, well, where the hell am I gonna get people to record it, you know? But um, I, I come up with basic ideas, flesh them out. But in here, I can hear what Joel can do with that. How, mm -hmm. you know, how um, Red Beach can take one of my, you know, dorky, muddy waters riffs and, and torture it into submission, into something entire. You know, it's, it just, just makes sense, you know, uh, to work with people 
who can help you get the best out of it. I was thrilled with the Flesh and Blood album, mm -hmm. how everyone, uh, in, you know, there's a lot of albums that I listen to where I can just listen to the rhythm section, you know, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, John Paul Jones, Bonzo, God rest his soul. You know, the music on their little feet, you know, uh, Allman Brothers, all these guys, I can literally listen to certain things or just Greg Allman singing, you know, tune the other things out. Um, with this, we've achieved it with Flesh and Blood. You, you know, the rhythm section is just astonishing. Uh, and that gave us the ability to build this high-rise, musical high-rise uh, apartment with fascinating uh, songs throughout, exploring how great Tommy Aldridge is, how great Mike, you know, Michael, uh, I was going to say Michael Douglas, who the fuck, uh, sorry, not Michael Douglas, we, uh, Michael Devin. <laughs> yes, I've got the 70 year old band in here. But no, everyone's Sean, I think, Darren. Yeah. yeah. And one thing that amazes me about you as a vocalist is not everybody realizes the sinus problems that you had to overcome in the mid 80s. And then you also had another bout of it like uh, 10 years or so ago. How is it that you overcame all of that? I just, I'm passionate and determined. Um, I, I, my wife was saying to me that, I said, do you want to, shall I have a coat of arms? <laughs> you know, for just our son Jasper, like a lion, and, and Cindy would be the, the old goat, Capricorn, you know, and I'd be the virgin. Uh, and I said, it should be, don't give up, you know, never give up. It's just, we, we don't give up. Our relationship is 30 years deep. You know, our son is of that age now where every, we're all hitting a six month wall, Darren. And it's, you know, and it doesn't look like we're getting out of the woods yet. So, you know, it's very emotionally debilitating. Uh, and our son uh, is, has his highs and lows. He's right. living in Los Angeles and uh, trained to be an actor, you know, he started getting involved with music last year, was just anything that's expressive, which he's always been encouraged to do. Um, but it's unbelievable. Uh, Cindy and I, my wife and I have each other uh, to, to, to tickle up or fluff up our chakras as we talk about it, to, uh, to help get through another day, because it's just a blur now. If it wasn't for my iPhone, I wouldn't know what fucking day it was, you know. Um, but the, it, it, it's, I will always get through. That's, and that's what we say. When Cindy was hitting the six-month wall a week or two ago, you know, I knew exactly what it was, and I just had to give her space. And, you know, she needs some girl time. You know, she needs to go. She's had three trips to Napa planned that, of course, because of the tragedy down there, one, one hotel, literally, she got an email saying, I'm so sorry, but the hotel and the golf course burnt down. <laughs> it's just crazy it's on top as if we, it wasn't enough to deal with the coronavirus if if that wasn't enough right now tell your boys and girls we have five planets in retrograde and mercury's just gone retrograde so i feel like marilyn monroe in a seven-year itch with a skirt up around my neck are you kidding me mercury's my ruling planet dude so don't take it personally we shall come through this but it's gonna be choppy fucking waters for uh, up to christmas i think yeah, oh, we have an election. Oh! <laughs> That's another blessing that we have. Fuck it. Oh, my God. Lord have mercy. I, I don't know whether the angels are sick of us, Darren, or what. Oh, but we're just waiting. Are they worth it? They're going to have to prove they're worth it. Oh, we're out of here. It'll be Atlantis all over. Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. The hits keep coming. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Well, there you go. Don't give up. And speaking of the not giving up, I had the pleasure of asking you a question or two at a Live Nation junket two, three years ago. It was a national. Oh, Mickey Jones. Well, Mickey Jones was that? Uh, you and Mick Jones were on stage. That's right. Yeah. Was that when I had the hashtag fuck kale? <laughs> yes. I said, what does David Coverdale eat before he goes on stage? And you said, you eat three hours before showtime, usually bland, two breasts of chicken with nothing on it baked potato with nothing on it, broccoli, and no kale, and no fucking quinoa. Uh, Precisely the same. Otherwise, sometimes my assistant will surprise me with a filet instead of a chicken bread, chicken tits, you know? <laughs> but it's, I can't, it's so interesting. I sing from the diaphragm, it's a very big deal. Uh, I mean, 
years ago, it was six hours before a show. And afterwards, I could have eaten a 57 Chevy, you know. But so the three hours is agreeable and no spices or anything. Otherwise, I feel it with my uh, on the show. And, and that's just a distraction that I don't want, you know. But uh, this is great, you know, uh, no vanity. Well, uh, my wife's adult beautiful, so I have to make sure I, uh, I can gain access to the, the boudoir, you know. So, but it's, it's my vanity too, you know. Uh, it's part of my industry and part of my life philosophy is to stay in shape. So when I said that I was going to be showering you with compliments, this is one of them as a warning. So don't blush too much. Uh, White Snake is one of the definitive rock bands of all time. Not just hard rock, not just blues rock. It's one of commercially one of the most successful bands. You guys, when you when you decided to reactivate White Snake in the early two thousands, you were back to playing arenas. It never dipped down to clubs. You know, it's been an ascent or at least a maintained level for all these years. The songs are still on the radio. Every now and then you pop up on an insurance commercial, <laughs> NFL games. It just never really ends. And no. you yourself are a rock and roll Hall of Famer due to your earlier work with Deep Purple. And I know how legendary Deep Purple is everywhere but the States. It's four times bigger than, than the States. So all that said, is there anything that you haven't accomplished that you're still one day hoping to? Well, we're still working on, as I say, we have uh, last few months in between wildfires, you know, and choking on smoke and the coronavirus. We've been working on uh, the idea of, uh, you know, putting these projects together. Um, mm -hmm. We have a, a professor of UNR comes in and helps us. He's extraordinarily social uh, uh, distancing conscious. Um, we have my assistant Elise, who once again is very, very conscious of uh, social distancing. Um, Michael and I, uh, over an age uh, where we, our immune system really uh, isn't what it was. So we just have to be ultra careful. So we've been working in, and thank God, we have this amazing studio here, mm -hmm. uh, which we've made, made all the, the most recent records. And so we've been getting stuff out, putting these pr projects together, box sets, uh, remixing video. I mean, it's never a dull moment, to be honest. And, and just putting this radio show has been a, a, a whole blast. What we're going to do with it, we don't know just yet. Um, but there's, there's always something to do uh, to keep us occupied, you know, uh, in this environment. And, and trying to, if indeed there is a box, Darren, is thinking outside it. Because all of the things we knew before, they've gone. Yeah. That's, uh, when people say return to normal, I think this is an opportunity for a major reset. You can't say it's been normal. <laughs> no. It hasn't been normal. I find that artists right now that I speak with, because I take two, three interviews a day these days, artists are either suffering from writer's block, don't know what's coming next, and they don't want to think about it, or kind of like you, in some form, it's box sets and new releases and radio show, new projects. Christmas songs, dude. Where's my bells? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the I've got fucking amazing bells, and I'm going. I've got to do a Christmas song. I've been talking about it for fucking years. I've got amazing jingle bells. If you'll excuse the expression, even after hernia surgery. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, do you guys have <laughs> two more questions, and yes, then three to your next phoner? Thank you. Okay. The first question: What do you like TV-wise these days? What shows are you watching? All right. Well, we finished um, Shit's Creek, which we loved. Uh, it's binging, isn't it? Uh, it's sure. binging time. Um, I didn't really know what that meant uh, initially, but I'm a member of BAFTA. I'm a voting member of uh, the British Academy, basically the British Oscars. Yeah. So I get sent all... <laughs> I don't know what this Christmas is going to be like, but I usually get the movies prior to release or currently on release to review and then vote for uh, in the BAFTA Awards. So we, we have a, had a bunch of those uh, still left over for the lockdown time. Uh, we went through Shit's Creek, which we adored, um, Ozarks, which we loved. 
um, and uh, billions adore succession, um, smart writing, excellent acting, but really our go-to is National Geographic. Um, yeah, so you can fucking ask me anything on ancient Egypt. I mean, I swear to God, Dr. Uh, Albert Lin, He's my Indiana Jones of the 21st century. We've watched everything he's done. I think he's out of San Diego or the Bay Area. Um, but I think the, the virus and the shutdown stopped him in his series. But we're fascinated uh, uh, by uh, wildlife and historical stuff. We've done uh, an, an amazing professor, a, a very sexy uh, Rubenesque uh, woman called Bethany Hughes is worth looking for Amazon Prime. You know, there's always a good boob shot, you know, her coming up the stairs or something. But she's a whip-smart woman, a uh, great writer, and a lovely presenter. So I've learned stuff about the UK and things. It's one of the things that we recommended to our son is don't just go World of Warcraft on us. You know, there's all of these things, you know, use it as a learning experience. You know, we put a studio in his house. Uh, to be able to, uh, what do you call it, televiewer? Is it uh, where he can work, like we're doing this, he can actually work with his producer uh, on songs and music. Um, wow. So, wow. you know, so it really is a, a time instead of like, it, we all have those moments, oh my God, head in hands, you know, reach for the scotch. Uh, that could be another title for my book. <laughs> now reach for the sky, reach for yeah. the no, you reach for the scotch, a legless autobiography. <laughs> Sorry, with, with no disrespect to Douglas Bader. <laughs> but the, uh, the other one was How White Was My Snake? And I think that's going to that's gonna be the... Uh, the <laughs> well, the closer, besides buy love songs and all the great Rhino releases that are coming soon, and check out the radio show. Besides that, David, any last words for the kids? Well, kids, yeah, well, everyone, just mask up. You know, it's, it's been made a political issue. It's a health issue. It's really simple. The sooner we get rid of this, we can all help by wearing a mask and be respectful to each other, ourselves. And then we can be back in shows. We can be, you know, resume moving forward as a species instead of this lockdown. Like, you know, it's just very disagreeable. But there's a reason for it. There's some not so bright uh, people making that have made this a political issue and a, an amendment issue, which is just, a, just ridiculous. It's a health issue. And um, just know you're loved beyond measure. Loved beyond measure. Know that you're loved because it's the man writing love songs. And <laughs> well, looking forward to seeing you back at Jones Beach when this all ends. Oh yeah. For the many, many years of great music, David, and just keep up the greatness. Bless your heart. Thank you, Darren. Nice to see you, man. Stay Thanks. safe. Outrocast. Thanks for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. Produced by V13 Media. Theme song by Steve Schiltz. Audio mixing by Mark Pirro. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. Outrocast.